Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Justin Robinson. He is co-founder at Lantern. We're going to talk to him about the work they're doing in cannabis and really innovating on the whole retail model, uh, how people obtain their cannabis, uh, what they do with it, how they learn about it. Really interesting model and a lot of experience that Justin is implying from previous company, Drizzly. I'm sure we'll talk about that a bit. I'm excited for this. I think the world of cannabis is ripe and ready for new innovation in terms of business models, in terms of how we really provide customers with experiences and getting getting product in lots of different ways and, and really learning about product and how to kind of navigate the world of cannabis. It's a it's not uh, an easy thing to kind of figure out what you want, what are the options, really kind of understanding those and educating ourselves as, consu- as uh, customers, as consumers of cannabis is a big, big part of the industry right now. So with that, Justin, welcome to the program. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So before we kind of dive into the world of cannabis and what you're doing with Lantern, give us a little of the backstory. Uh, tell us you know, professionally what you've been doing, how kind of cannabis came up, what's been the path you've been on? Yeah, totally. Um, so uh, let's go all the way back to the beginning, I suppose. So we actually career started 
by starting yeah a company called Drizzly back in 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, so I graduated from Boston College in, in 2011, worked in a job that I hated for a year, and a friend <laughs> texted me a year into that saying like, hey, you know, I just got some pizza delivered. Like, why can't I get beer, wine, or spirits delivered? So mm-hmm. um, that was back in 2012, and we started Drizzly here in Boston. And to super fast forward over the next like eight plus years, we expanded across the country. Um, the model for Drizzly was um, and still is we're a marketplace that connects consumers to their favorite local liquor stores to get product delivered. And the liquor stores do the delivery themselves or contract with a third party. And so over those sort of eight, nine years of building Drizzly, folks had always asked us about the cannabis space and if we yeah, were sure. ever going to consider that market, this market that we're now, that we're obviously now <laughs> in. And our answer was always like, no, no, no. We, you know, A, it being federally illegal feels risky. B, there's so much room to grow in beverage alcohol sales online and for delivery that you know, even though the cannabis space looks like 30, 40% might be sort of delivery percent, you know, percent of the market might be delivered in, in cannabis in five, 10 years, like we're going to stay hyper-focused on, on alcohol. But in 2018, what happened was um, a few things. One, the state of Massachusetts, our backyard where we're based was legalizing and contemplating how to legalize delivery. So yeah. we were paying very close attention to that. We were actually talking to regulators about sort of how we've been able to do it in beverage alcohol and what that might mean for cannabis. So we kind of had that in there to, you know, we were starting to see some of the data coming out in legal markets about the substitution preferences that were happening in some of the legal markets where, you know, between 10, 15, 20% of beverage alcohol occasions were being replaced with cannabis occasions. And so we just macro thought that that would be something we would need to really keep a, a close eye on. And then lastly, I, you know, personally just came to understand what the different equity initiatives were in different states in Massachusetts baked in our in our sort of legislation for legalization was a mandate to make sure that the industry is equitable and and there was some opportunity to help do that and be a part of that in delivery in Massachusetts. So all those things combined, we said, let's let's give it a shot. And we launched Lantern back in 2020, but started working on it in 2019. So that yeah. was the very long-winded explanation. No, that's great. That's here. great. And I think it's important because I think, you know, so much of this is kind of a continuation of what you've learned and done with Drizzly. I mean, give me, give me a sense of the market. When you look at, you know, spirits, wine, beer market and the cannabis market, I mean, how do you kind of size them both from an overall market and from a kind of an opportunity from a delivery model? Kind of give, give me a sense of how you analyzed it. Yeah, so the beverage alcohol, the alcohol beverage market in the United States is about $130 billion off-premise, meaning buy it in-store or at a grocery store and take it off-premise to consume market. And pre-pandemic, because as we all need to talk about Mm -hmm. a pre-pandemic world and post-pandemic world, pre-pandemic, only about 3%, 3-4% of beverage alcohol sales were actually even sold online. And that's not you know, that's a that's pickup delivery, et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah. and delivery was probably half of that business. So product being bought online and delivered was really only 2%, maybe less of the yeah. whole beverage alcohol industry, but it's a $130 billion industry. We could all assume that, you know, that, that number was going to grow pretty substantially, which naturally post pandemic it did. Yeah. Cannabis, you know, depending on 
what numbers you're looking at, how quickly legalization happens. We all know, whatever, let's call it like a $40, $50 billion industry in the next five to 10 years, somewhere around there. But plausibly in some data in California and other markets are showing this to be true, especially in dense urban markets, like somewhere between 30, 40, and in, in some markets like San Francisco, you hear numbers like 50% of cannabis is is cannabis sales are through delivery. Yeah. Like therefore, even while the market's a bit smaller, about half or a little bit less of what the beverage alcohol industry is, you know, the percent sold online is just is just so much more significant yeah. that and and for delivery that 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 was really the key key consideration in us saying like we gotta go. We gotta go yeah. be in this market. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I'm curious. Uh, well, I have two questions on that. One is the pandemic. Um, it, I mean, clearly we had a big shift in behavior and and how people were getting cannabis, you know, stores being closed or at least, you know, being restricted and, you know, being, things shifting to like a curbside pickup and stuff. I'm curious, how much change did you see in the pandemic and how much of that do you think will, will stick in, in terms of people's behaviors going forward? So... First and foremost, we were supposed to launch Lantern, which is you know a marketplace to get cannabis delivered from your favorite local dispensaries in about March of 2020, about the second or third week. And needless to say, that didn't happen on that time frame. Everyone went home. The world became a completely different place. And to give you a sense, like Drizzly, week over week, we were growing like 500, 600, 700% and you know we were a, a much smaller company pre-pandemic and post-pandemic a much much larger company and so we you know that industry specifically beverage alcohol everything changed overnight and we were a big part of that which was you know we we were in a, a lucky position for sure um the question of like how much is that going to stick post-pandemic from what we're seeing if we consider now to be almost post-pandemic probably i mean we're getting there yeah Granted, given the spikes and everything else, we'll see. But <laughs> yeah. like, we'll get, arguable, but we're, yeah, I get we're it. getting there. Like, the world's still open. So, like, certainly, like, the numbers are much, much higher than what they were pre-pandemic. But it's obviously not gonna. Everything sold online and for delivery of every industry was ninety percent in April or you know May or June of last year, and those numbers are have clearly come down a bit, but not significantly. Like, I think what we're all seeing is that folks got more and more used to purchasing every single good, including beverage, alcohol, and cannabis online over the course of the last year and a half. And as a result, they realized how much easier that was. And so I think we're going to continue to see, you know, delivery and online sales of obviously every product at a much at a, at a much more significantly elevated level from where it was pre-pandemic for a long time to come. Yeah. Yeah. And then my second question is, I mean, one of the, the stats you mentioned on the alcohol beverage side is, you know, off-premise use, you know, but that, that carves out or that's acknowledging that there's a whole bunch of on-premise use, you know, bars, you know, restaurants, things like that. Do you see any impact of, I mean, we, we, we're starting to see the introduction of cannabis consumption lounges and kind of this, um, you know, the, the quote-unquote cannabis bar models. Do you think that's going to affect the market at all? Or do you see that as, a, as, a, as more of an add to the overall market? Yeah, I think it's probably going to be an ad. I think it's way too early to tell. Um, and I think that the of all the license types, social consumption is going to take the longest just because, you know, of the, the I guess, sort of the nature of what it is in a, in a community. It's just going to take a lot more time to get folks comfortable with there being a cannabis lounge, um, yeah. which is 
somewhat ridiculous given <laughs> that bars are certainly more rowdy places than a cannabis lounge would, yeah, will be. But exactly. um, anyway, I you know I think it's too early to tell. I don't know. I think that it, it'll certainly probably take a bit from the on-premise bar experience, but it might also be additive. And I think it's too early to tell, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. And so what else, you know, as you looked, you know, on one hand, it seems like, you know, copy and paste, right? Like you've got, um, you know, regulated market where you've got retail locations, you provide kind of the delivery service component, aggregate demand, or, you know, create, create a solution where, you know, customers go and sort of create demand. And then you match them with liquor stores or you farm that out to liquor stores for delivery, you know, just copy and paste, do this with cannabis. How is this not, I guess, what did you know in the beginning was not going to be copy and paste? And what did you think was going to be a copy and paste that wasn't? Yeah, well, we thought a lot more was going to be copy paste than it turned out to be, <laughs> as I'm sure most folks coming from other industries assume, especially the beverage alcohol world. But so, I mean, things we knew weren't going to be that were going to be a challenge and still are a challenge, like payments, obviously, is no one's best friend in the cannabis space. And so that's always going to be a challenge. It's a, you know, a broken customer experience and the federal government like has to figure that out for so many reasons, but safety, the most obvious. Um, I think that we definitely coming from beverage alcohol appreciated how sticky regulations are going to be and how like state by state, every state's essentially a different country. The world is going to be in cannabis, but it's, it's even more, it's just so much more like, I don't know, polarized in the cannabis space than we could have imagined, I guess. Like every new state that legalizes takes all the learnings of the previous, you know, 10 to 12, whatever number of states and makes their own, which always slightly different variation. And especially with regards to delivery, like the spectrum of how product can get delivered to a consumer's house is just like in Massachusetts, you need two people per vehicle. Cars have to be like owned or leased by delivery companies. There's no concept of dynamic delivery, which is where you can put like three to five grand worth of product in your car and accept orders on the road. Like it's just so much more restrictive. Whereas a, a Michigan or a California, you know, the car can be owned or leased by the person doing the deliveries. That person, you know, there's one person in the car. Like, so I'm speaking specifically with delivery and something that anyone in the cannabis industry obviously knows, but just the the wild different difference in state regulations makes yeah. we have the benefit of we've been operating in this kind of market for, you know, my whole career essentially, like eight, nine, ten years, and have a lot of done a lot of work with legislators and regulators to work on this stuff, but it's the gives and takes are just so much more broad in cannabis than I think we even expected. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. So as, as you started to look at the cannabis market, what was, what was the thinking about how you, how you were going to get kind of penetrate this or, you know, get established, you know, what were the first moves? What did you have to kind of set up infrastructure wise, et cetera? Give us a sense of how this played out. Yeah. So we started in Massachusetts, our backyard where we already, you know, had a lot of inroads, knew plenty of people, the Drizzly brand here, you know, sort of was meaningful, both in terms of talking to the community and regulators and legislators and industry. So really like Massachusetts was a pretty perfect kind of proving ground for us, if you will. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, we just, we literally kicked off by like talk again, talking to regulators and speaking to industry, going to CCC meetings here and like understanding the landscape of what this is all going to look like. And what one thing that became 
very clear was that everyone sort of knew and still knows that delivery of cannabis is going to be a very important part of the industry. But specifically in mass, so many of the operate, you know, so there are so many vertically integrated operations. It's largely to some extent, unfortunately dominated by vertically integrated businesses here that they're concerned with cultivation and processing and wholesale and retail and all of those things. And they know delivery is important, but they wanted help figuring it out. And so, you know, when I would give them a call or show up and say, hey, I've been doing this in beverage alcohol for nine years. And, you know, I think I can really help you ramp this up in cannabis pretty, pretty easily. It's kind of, you know, delivery can often be daunting to folks, which I get, but also find funny because it's literally been my whole career. And I'm like, I, I could stand up a delivery operation with my eyes closed kind of thing that let's, uh-huh. you know, give me a chance to do that. So yeah, fortunately, a good number of partners in Massachusetts gave us a chance to to try to prove to them that we could drive value and kind of manage their delivery program. And we've been fortunate to, uh, to yeah, to get to where we needed to get to here to, to prove out the market. Yeah. And, and what was it that you knew about delivery? Like, what what is the thing that's scary to these brands? You know, to these companies that 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 you got at the experience in? Like, what? How did that work? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is just the automatic assumption is that you can't make money doing delivery. Like, there's this automatic like it seems like every order is going to hurt my gross margins and. And the answer is like, okay, like anything else in the beginning, when you're investing in this new sort of vertical, like, yes, it's going to cost some money. You're going to have to forward invest. Delivery becomes, you know, starts out not as profitable as folks would hope because you've got, you know, just like anything else, just like opening a store, you've got smaller, you've got smaller sort of traffic. You've got small, uh, smaller number of orders. You've got to drive further for each order. But over time, as you continue to ramp your operation, you get more orders in a smaller in a smaller sort of radius, and you're really driving up volume. Delivery becomes highly profitable. The average ticket's going to be much higher. People are these are sort of stock up occasions often, so these are really experiences that you want to make sure you're in and doing well. So I would say the first thing is just literally running through with operators like a PL of what delivery looks like. That's almost like a place that we start. And then two is like everyone's, you know, the regulations are daunting, which it can often be just something that, you know, people are, existing operators are experts in retail regulations and, you know, how to grow and how to process, but they're not delivery experts. And so that's, you know, from a regulation perspective, we can come in and we can say, hey, here's how to make sure you're checking all the box from a regulatory perspective. Again, we've been doing this for nine years of beverage alcohol. Like we, we take the regulations part of this very seriously and leave it to us to make sure that you're checking all the boxes. So um, yeah. I think it's both like, one, can we make money? Because um, everyone knows there's demand. So the question is just like, can we make money? And then two, how can we make sure that we're setting this up in a compliant compliant way? And we would love someone's help to do that. So Yeah. And I'm curious how, like, how, how did this, how have you kind of managed the the dynamics of kind of bring, bringing multiple brands online to one location, to one to one website or one customer experience? Like, how, how do you kind of help brands kind of get, you know, get footing on this marketplace, but also be exposed to kind of competition? I mean, how, how does that conversation play out for these companies? Yeah, I mean, same, same as it did in beverage alcohol, frankly. So yeah, our market place from a consumer's perspective allows a consumer to shop from multiple dispensaries and get product delivered 
from those dispensaries, from a dispensary's perspective, the conversation is always whatever you're best at offline, like whether it's your proximity to the city and so you've got really fast, great delivery times or it's your customer service or it's your pricing or it's your product skew count and you've just got the best selection in town, those offline advantages will show through to a consumer online and will make you the choice of the customer. And then ultimately, again, from a dispensary's perspective, it's like if you do a good job on Lantern and you are delivering to customers quickly, your prices are obviously great, there's going to be this crossover where online customers are going to come shop you offline as well and they might learn about you from from Lantern. And again, this is something we saw at Drizzly play out without question is that the stores that did a really, really good job on Drizzly saw a pretty significant bump in their like offline folks yeah. walking into the store business. And so all those things together will make this marketplace sort of a rising tide lifts all boats. So consumers will naturally prefer an experience where they can shop from great, multiple great dispensaries in their area. And then from a retailer's perspective, if you're the best of these really great dispensaries, you're going to get some some customers that didn't know about you, find out about you. You're going to have them love you from just shopping from you on Lantern. So there's all these benefits to being on a marketplace. And it'll make these stores a better store overall because you're, you know, you're competing with the folks down the street. So Yeah. Yeah. So I'd like that. I mean, it's kind of basically you're, you're in competition anyway. <laughs> like you still need to have a differentiated you know, position in the market. You need to kind of figure out how you're going to win, whether you're doing it with retail stores or whether you're doing it online. Um, you know, yeah. Same, and like in, in, in beverage alcohol, it was like, look, if you're a long tail wine shop that has, you know, all these great esoteric wines from that are very interesting, like find a way, like, like, yes, you're going to lose the Bud Light consumer, but that's okay because like you're going to make up for that in finding your customers and they're going to come find you because they're looking for the wines that you have. It's the same concept in, in cannabis. Granted in cannabis, we're all, it's so, it's very early. We're so early in this market, especially in mass that like, there's a lot of this stuff that has left to play out, but at the end of the day, like whatever you're great at is going to show through on the internet. So keep being good at that thing. Yeah, you know, how for for wine, liquor, beer, you know, these things are highly, you know, branded, right? These products, we're, we're used to, you know, going in and wanting a particular, you know, bottle of something. Like, I, I'm, I'm used to sort of shopping by brand. Cannabis world, you know, we have so much of this raw flower, different cultivars, right? And, that they're, and you know, it could be produced, you know, similarly by different companies. And, you know, brand recognition is not very established. I mean, brands in general are not established, not even, you know, people are not are just starting to really think about developing brands and cannabis. How does that impact the whole kind of, you know, website structure, user experience? How do how people navigate things? You know, I, I can't just search. I mean, I guess I, I could search for certain things, but, you know, all, there's so many variables, it seems like. How have you handled that? Yeah, I mean, so we just like any, you know, cannabis company, well, mo- a, lot, a lot of folks these days are sort of trying, making sure that we're trying to find ways to, tap into the Canicurious market and make it incredibly user-friendly and easy and trustworthy to like find products that are going to be right for you. And there's obvious, obviously a massive, I mean, this is the opportunity that's, you know, the reason so many companies are here, like there, there are still, there's still so much room for great brands to be built. And, you know, the great brands of today right now, will they continue to be the great brands of tomorrow and in 10, 15, 20 years? Like, we'll see. I think what we know from beverage alcohol is that 
Uh, there are certainly those brands that are timeless that will always do well. And then every one to two to three years, you see new entrants into the into the into the world, and and folks, you know, start to be attracted to these like new and interesting brands that are entering the market. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, we want to create a really personalized experience. That's what we have the advantage of being able to do as a tech company and so many you know that is what e-commerce is about these days in any industry and category is personalization and making sure that we're getting the right thing to you that's like table stakes and so the interesting part about cannabis is that everything is so especially in the markets that we're operating in which are massachusetts michigan and parts of colorado which doesn't necessarily fall in this bucket but in massachusetts and michigan because everything's so new like you know folks are are down to try anything that's out there that looks interesting and that's sold really well and so it's our job to help brands sell themselves really well to the right consumers and it's our job to help consumers find brands that they're going to love that are right for them and then continue to find more and more brands that are in line with with what they've experienced and liked in the past so the brand opportunity is like obviously the the massive one in the cannabis industry and we're just at the early early innings of that yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about where things are, like what states have you up working within? How, how far have you advanced the business model? What have you been learning recently? Yeah. So we're in, uh, we're in, as I said, Mass and Michigan and Colorado. And yeah, as I mentioned previously, like every market's so wildly different in Mass. We, we were fortunate to sort of be first to market here. And because Massachusetts is just so there's so many nuances and it's so tricky here from a regulatory perspective. Like, and we've been working on the market for two years, hand in hand with plenty of social equity applicants and operators because in Massachusetts, which we were a part of helping make this a reality, like all of the delivery license types are exclusive to equity applicants here for uh, the first three and likely many more years. And so we've been running an incubator program for the last two um, we've been very involved with regulators here to try to help make sure the regulations are going to make as much sense as possible and folks can still make money while balancing safety and all the other concerns. So, um, so yeah, Boston's going really, really well. We're definitely plenty more than 50% market share here, and we're going to keep really ramping that up. It only launched in sort of the back half of July of this year, so you know, we're not, we're not even two months really into, into delivery in Boston, but we're ramping. Michigan was our first market. It's not as much of a delivery market as like Boston or New York or any of these like big metros will be. Um, but that market's been great. They have dynamic delivery out there. You can, you know, you can do deliveries with one person per vehicle. So that's been neat. And then Colorado has been an interesting market to play around in. It's, there are, you know, there are plenty of dispensaries in and around the Denver area, which is where a majority of the delivery volume will be. So we'll see how delivery plays out there um, over time. But um, but yeah, those are the three markets we're in. That's great. What, what's next? I mean, as you kind of look at future markets, anything, you know, in your sights in terms of next markets you want to get in? Yeah, totally. Just like just like anyone else. I mean, Jersey and New York are going to be, yeah. we're very much a East Coast, sort of Northeast, really based market. Like this is where... We're headquartered. This is, you know, coming from Drizzly, like our biggest markets in the country are Massachusetts and New York and Northern Jersey and these like very obvious delivery heavy markets. So we are 
definitely excited for what's happening in Jersey and the delivery regs aren't out there completely yet, but there's some stuff, so that's cool. And then New York is like the delivery mecca, so we're definitely uh, gearing up to be able to deliver some cannabis in both of those states. Yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> I'm in Jersey, so. Yeah. Oh, nice. What part of Jersey? Let me know when you I, I'm in Fort Lee, so I'm actually in both markets because I, I, can, I can jump across the bridge to, to Manhattan. I'm curious, anything that's you're kind of keeping an eye on from a regulatory p- point of view, either at the state level or federal level? I mean, what, what are the kind of unknowns or things that you're kind of hoping for in terms of changes and how this market's shaping up from a regulatory point of view? Yeah, like I think banking is a big one for just everyone in the space, like just so many unnecessary regulations, you know, I'm probably talking to an audience that's like, uh, and you included that are like, obviously, but like, it just, what it does to regulations and what it does to the pace of an industry opening up and what it does to equity, like it's just, it's senseless, like that banking isn't really a part of the industry yet. And, you know, we got to get the Safe Banking Act and whatever else done so that's like the most obvious one and then i think with um with regards to state regs like it'll be interesting to see how you know vertical integration versus kind of what we have in the beverage alcohol market which is a three-tier market where you have you can't be kind of similar to what is shaping up in in jersey and new york for all the non long-standing players there where there's going to be multiple tiers and you can't both be a retailer and a cultivator. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out over time. I think obviously an industry where there are multiple tiers and you can't be vertically integrated encourages small business and encourages equity. And so I think we're very much interested to see how that plays out over time. And yeah, I think those are some things that we're, uh, we're definitely keeping our eye on. Yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of dynamics going on the markets. One part of the it's both uh, makes it crazy, but it also makes it kind of fun and, and creates lots of opportunities. So totally. we'll see see how these play out. Justin, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Lantern, what's the best way to get that information? Yeah, uh, so visit us at our website at lanternnow.com. Um, you can send me an email to Justin at lanternnow.com as well, and then yeah, find us on all the social channels. But really appreciate. Uh, Appreciate the time. Uh, my pleasure. And I'll make sure all the links are in the show notes and everything. Justin, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time today. Yeah, thank you. We'll see you around. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. Thank you.